100. Our opening hymn had, When morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. As we come down I-95 and, you know, you go, the sun was just beautiful out this morning, and it hits those trees, and it's like the painted uh, beauty that God, Millie says, well, they should look at the colors, how those match, you know. I said, the Lord did that, you know. It just, it's just, you know, it's the sun, it's, it's the change of the seasons, it's marvelous. And so our hearts just jump with praise for him. Psalm 139, kindly follow along as I read the words of David. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when they are yet not was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands. When I awake... I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God, depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedness, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred, I count them as mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me, and know my, know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. We're thankful for God's word, and pray it will bless our hearts. Shall we pray?
Father, we pause in this uh, Lord's Day to consider uh, the bounty of this one little psalm uh, brought to the heart of David and from his pen preserved even for us today. Thank you for the truth that was uh, clear into his heart and relevant in his day and has been, as it always will be, relevant for each generation. As we approach it, we approach it with love and care because it is your word and ask that you would seed within our hearts truth that it would profit us, uh, not only for this hour, but the profit would continue until we see our Lord face to face. Uh, may, Father, we find uh, the beauty of it, give you praise for what's been done, hide in your servant, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Early in September, I think it was, that we started the look at this Psalm um, 139, and it began with David's all-encompassing confession in verse 1. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And for the next 15 verses, he continues on speaking of his entirety in nakedness before God, confessing that God knows him completely, knows him from inside out, knows him from the beginning of time all the way through who he was, his activities, his spoken words even before they were spoken. And so David recognizes God, understands who he was, understands that he was sustained by him, created by him, and therefore God owned him. Possession, relationship. Let me start by saying that all of David's proclamations here in relationship to God is the same for you and I. Uh, the understanding that we have, that we were created by him, sustained by him, uh, redeemed by him, and therefore we are his possession. And that's not necessarily something that is a well-accepted principle by people in the world today. God knows him, but they don't know our God. But for David, this was a conclusion that was as natural as life itself. However, beginning at verse 17, there's a shift. For 16 verses, David comes and he confesses all that God sees of him, given uh, from his, his physical being to his mental makeup, to everything about him. And then it comes to verse uh, 17, and David starts to consider God's immeasurable thoughts towards him. What does God think of David? What does God think of David? And he says, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. What people think of us is important. I know some would come along and say, oh, I don't care what they think, I don't care what they say, you know, but they really do. Uh, it's, it's, it's a process of life. Uh, what a joy we have, at least some of you who receive cards, you know. We have a lady friend uh, lives a little distance from us, and every, about every other month she makes cards and she sends a little card to us and she's thinking of you today. And she writes some little verse or whatever, and she says, today you were my prayers. And boy, that just, you know, was, it just picks you up. Um, or a phone call. And somebody says, hey, you know what? I was thinking about you today. How are you doing? And then they listen as you express 
how you're feeling, how you're doing. And it means a lot. Their thoughts uh, of us and how that goes along. Our thoughts towards others, though, as good as they may seem, as intended as they may be, good and kind, are temporary. Because between the years, we don't necessarily remember. Not that we don't care for people, but our thoughts towards others is usually within a period of time, and then that door goes closed, and, you know, we forget about it. You know, it's just our nature. But the expression of what David has provided for here, he jumps to the idea that God thinks of him all the time. And that's not, not unruly in our thinking, but God thinks of him all the time. Yet how does David know that God thinks of him? You ever, you ever think of that? You know? How does that come about? Well, in reality, David understands God's thoughts towards him because God cared for him all his days. And the solid proof of how much he loved him. Thoughts produce actions. So David's sitting on the side of saying, this is what God is to me, what he's done for me, what he's provided for me. Therefore, his thoughts for me are, in that sense. On the dating scene, finds the young man showering his intended with gifts, candies, sugar-free, by the way, you know, flowers, uh, not where there's anything that is uh, going to be allergic to them, um, maybe some cakes or whatever, gluten-free, you know, obviously, he's thinking of that. And that door is open, and yet, as that intended becomes, um, in the marriage situation, all of a sudden she says, or he says to her, why don't you do these things for me anymore? Don't you think of me, you know? He says, of course I think of you. Well, why there are no flowers or no candies or no, you know, whatever? Well, it's just not that I don't. And the person says, your thoughts, if you still love me, should produce actions that display that love. And so in a minuscule principle, this is exactly what David is saying of God. God, because you have constantly, through all eternity, known me. And since my conception, to this very moment that I'm writing this, you have exhibited nothing but good towards me. Therefore, I know your thoughts of me. Are, what is the word he uses? Precious. Your thoughts for me are precious. The reality of this, David calls these thoughts precious because it is a proof of God's never-ending love and commitment towards him. And really, it's a truth of a proof for all of his children. The Apostle Paul writes in the church of Philippi, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God began is that good work, and however Paul intended for that to mean, whether that was the principle of before the foundation of the world or from the point of conception or the point where the person recognizes that I need Jesus as my Savior, he says what God has started in you, he's not going to say, oh, this case is a mess. Forget that one, you know. He says, I'm going to continue on. He that has begun the good work in you will perform it. God does not give up on his own, on his children. He cares for them. 
At times I think we hold the fact that God is too busy to think of me, care for me 24-7. He's got to be worried about you know, the situation in the Holy Land. He's got to be thinking about all of those in, in the Ukraine war. He's got to be thinking about this. And who am I? You know, who am I? And sometimes we set those things aside. And yet he cares for his own. And as David says, thoughts of our God towards us are precious. And so it is for each of us. But not only are God's thoughts precious, he continues by saying they are beyond measure. Beyond measure. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. He recognized from conception on that God was aware of the, the very makeup of his body, the number of bones, the beating of the heart, and all the things, all of the mental aspect, the speaking of the words, everything that went on with this. And therefore, he concludes that they are indeed, from every cell of his body, inadequate to number them all. Put this in perspective, I have been alive 27,244 days. That's 653,000 hours, 653,846 hours. That's 39,230,769 minutes. That's a lot. But if God only gave me one thought in one minute, I'd be getting ripped off. David says, your thoughts of me, Lord, are not only precious, but how great is the sum of them? Innumerable. There's not a time when God, and he said, we, we, we limit it simply because I can't think the same way that God does. But he says, there's no way of numbering these things. How great is the sum from, from the inception all the way through this very moment of life that he thinks of me because he's displayed it in his care for me, in his preciousness towards me. And that's for all of his children. We can include in this thought the tender mercies that God has given and accompanied David throughout his life. The words of Jacob, which were no doubt born within the heart of David, he said, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. God is worthy of praise simply because of the least of his mercies. The least, the smallest, the most insignificant thing. Jacob writes, I'm not worthy of the smallest of any of those things. And yet God's mercies continue to overflow time and time again. God is worthy of praise because his mercies show up in providing healing, and forgiveness and redemption. He has pity towards us. He has compassion, he has kindness, etc., etc., etc. And we limit him, we fraction him down, we put him in a little box, and he says, this is all that God is, this is all that he does. But David says, no, it just continues to overflow from one end to the other. It is, this, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his great compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. New every morning. We wake up and God's mercies, 
They're not leftovers, but they're fresh to me. They're fresh to my family. They're fresh to all of you, new every single day. No matter what I've done or how I've, how I've betrayed the trust that he's given me, he says, my mercy is new unto you each day. David's again presenting this relationship of his thoughts to him, his thoughts to us as precious and innumerable, continuing on. So new every morning, and David says, if I were to count them, verse 18, they are more than number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Wow. Wow. Sometimes we feel abandoned. Sometimes we feel lost. And he says, no. He says, every single morning, the faithfulness of our God is presented tender mercies unto me. And when I awaken up, they were there for me to know. There was not a point in time where God was not doing good for David. When he opens his eyes, he says, his mercies were new and faithful unto me as the fresh stream of mercies were given. Stephen Sharnock, a Puritan, writes this. The thoughts of God were the first visitors David had in the morning. God and his heart met together as soon as he was awake and kept company all the day long. What's your thoughts when you first wake? Oh, where's my phone? Let me check. Did they, did they, did they send, you know, what was the score? You know, who wrote me? You know, let me turn on the radio or turn on the TV. What's the thought that's going to hit me? Old habits, priceless. But David says, no. He says, when I awake in the morning, you're there with me. You brought me through the night. We don't register what takes place at night. I close my eyes, commit in prayer. Lord, keep us through the night. And when we awaken, we don't know what's taking place around us. But all of a sudden, David says, no, they are new. They are provided. When I awake, I am still with thee. He hasn't changed. What a wonderful God. What a glorious picture of understanding of this relationship. Now, look at verses 19 through 22. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Woo! Powerful. And some have even gone through this and, and says, well, this doesn't belong in this, this psalm. It's totally off the wall. It's totally different, you know. It's a presentation of David's uh, situation that doesn't seem to fit. It's almost as if David was in heaven for a while, now he's returned to the realities of earth, and it's kind of slapped him in the face, the reality of what's gone on. It's almost as if having a glorious day here in the Lord's house, 
and we're singing the praises of the Lord and we're feeding from his word and we have this sweet fellowship and we, yeah, okay, we'll get in and we go out and we get in the car and, and we go out to the driveway and we head out and then somebody goes, you know, what? You know, you know, or the kids are screaming in the back of the seat, ah, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, the sweetness of what we find here and then the reality of the world that we get into and we just throw it all aside. And that almost is what it seems like. David says, oh, Lord, the precious relationship. And then all of a sudden he comes along and he says, ah, kill him, Lord. Those are, you know, it's just, it just kind of a real contrast. But let me try and explain what's happened here with David. Remember, we don't know how old or the situation that David wrote this psalm with. Uh, it was one that was provided an opportunity for him to praise God. There weren't feasts or festivals. There wasn't a victory of a battle or, or any of those situations. It was just him sitting down and presenting it. We don't know if he was a, a young man as a shepherd in his father's fields. We don't know if it was a time as he was called to be king uh, when Saul was chasing him and going through the wilderness. We don't know if it's a time after he took the throne and was king. We don't, we don't see that. But the truth of the matter is, David found himself in a situation where he sees the world as it was, surrounded by wickedness and bloodshed and deceit. His eyes were open to the reality of it. It's almost like the newspaper, well, no newspapers today. It's almost like, you know, the news of the day. That's how we see the world that's surrounding us all over. He knows God to be good. He knows God to be holy and righteous. But notice here, he's not talking about his enemies. These aren't people who are attacking, you know, seeking him, like Saul was. Remember Saul or one of his sons during time? Look at those verses again. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Lord, you know me. You read my thoughts before they're even expressed. You know that I want nothing to do with these wicked and godless people. Distance me from this situation. It's painful for me, Father. I want to stay close to you, and so should we all. Paul's words to the Romans, he says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife or in envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, he says, Lord, this is a situation. We're in this, but cause us to put on Christ and not to put on those things. And this is what David sees. This is what David feels. But are we taught to love our enemies? Words of Jesus. David's words, and there are a couple of psalms that, they're called imprecatory psalms, where David calls God's wrath and judgment on, on these people. But we get to the New Testament and we come to a place where we're taught to love our enemies. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. 
Yet the Bible doesn't always distinguish as easily as we would like between the sin and the sinner, does it? We find it all too often that we can have a hatred attached to the sinner and we hate that one. God doesn't do so. God doesn't hate the sinner. God hates the sin. And therefore, the principle lays before us. David writes, shocking as it may sound to our modern ears, what requires us to ask, do I love what God loves and hate what God hates? How about that? Do I love what God loves? Which precludes the idea that I need to know what God loves. And do I hate what God hates? Precludes the idea that I know what God hates. Because we can easily associate what somebody does with them, those people, or that person, or whatever. And he says, I hate them because of what they've done. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's Paul. <laughs> Think how the man was hated. And all the things that he had done, and all the persecution. But God says, I love the man, but I hate what he was doing. And his life becomes, wow, what a testimony. It should bring us in a place. And speaking of searching, let's see what this final section is. Verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, these are one of those passages, like part of the 23rd Psalm, when you go into a Christian bookstore and you find those little you know, book, book markers, and he said, these will be one of the verses that you find, you know, uh, uh, of as, a, as, as a popular one. To be honest, David finds himself in quite a conundrum. On one hand, he has condemned the wicked, and rightly so, because they hate God. They speak evil against him. They do against God all of those enemy things that enemies do. They constantly do this. God is the judge. And then on the other hand, David gets a glance of himself in the mirror. Who? And he says, I don't necessarily like what I see. You know, I'm with you, God. Let's crush the enemies. Look what they've done. But then all of a sudden he looks around and he sees himself. And David is not without spot or wrinkle. As a matter of fact, David has an abundance of them. He understands his situation. He understands his walk. And although he has confessed earlier in this psalm that God sees his heart, he still offers this beautiful prayer of request, and I think it's one that we ought to memorize, if we haven't already, to bury within us each and every day. It begins by asking God to search me and know my heart. The word search here in the Hebrew is to dig deep, to get down into the, the very depths, not the surface uh, uh, cleaning off, but search David to the very core of his being. David asked God to do this that he may know him, and more so that God would show David himself. In other words, God search me and know me, but cause me to see myself as I am. We like to have people think of us as the way we want to present ourselves. You know, 
we can dress a certain way or we can act a certain way or eat this or go here or drive this or live here or whatever. And we want to present a certain presentation. And yet he says, God, search me and know me. God knows him. But for the purpose of David knowing himself. Remember, he's, he looks in the mirror and he sees himself and it's, he's, not, he's not with God. He's not holy and pure and righteous. You know, he has his spots and wrinkles. So he says, Lord, bring me to a place where I am seeing those things that I'm unaware of or unwilling to admit. Unwilling to admit. I remember a time when we had gotten back off the mission field and uh, visiting some churches and and this uh, pastor, our home pastor, came up to me and he says, uh, what have you given in church the offering? I thought, what are you talking about? He says, I know you feel, and the reason he did this, he says, I know you feel as a missionary that you always need to have people give to you and your particular needs, and, and yet what have you given back? And he wasn't asking for money, but he's asking for me, help me to see myself is I need to be seen. Things that I needed to admit for myself. And that's one of the areas that we have to be conscious of. Can I do that? What does David ask God to show him? He says, show him his heart. The heart in the Bible is the seat of our what? Our, our thought process, our actions, our, our very inner being of who we are, our emotions. The heart determines why we think what we think, feel what we feel, desire what we desire to do and do. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, thinks, we always think thought process up here, but we recognize the distance between my heart and my brain is a very short distance, and it's really one and the same for the believer. As I think in my heart, as I process things within my soul, I do that because that's who I am. God, show me my heart. Help me to understand those things. David then asked God to try me and to know my thoughts. Trying might be familiar with the idea of a, a process of purification. Um, taking the, the metal and putting it into the pot and and cooking it, and boiling out the impurities of it. You know, Get rid of those things that don't belong there to make it pure. David means all of his ways of thinking. Thinking that doesn't line up with God's word. In other words, his revelation to him. Everything that's not lining up with who you want me to be and what you want me to be, all of those things, help me to see it. Help me to recognize it in my life and help me to understand what needs to be taken care of. You know, his impure thoughts often described his anxious attitude. For David knows that the root of anxiety is faulty thinking. Why should I fear? Why would I fear? You know, everything that God has, as a sovereign God, if his preciousness of all of his thoughts are upon me, and he's done good, nothing but good to me all along. Well, why should I have fear? Anxiety, it kind of rolls in. Well, he says, no, Lord, these impure thoughts, they're not lining up with what you tell me. You care for me, that you are 24-7 for all of the 
gazillion seconds that I've been alive, there's not been a moment that you've not looked upon me with favor. So why would I be anxious? Maybe the unknown, you know, well, I leave, I commit the unknown into your hands, Lord. What's going to happen to the country? Uh, you know, who's on the throne? You know, who's on the throne? So what David asks is for God to refine his thinking, to show him any impurities which cause his ways not to line up with the truth. Uh, there it goes, precluding the idea that I know what the truth is. Because the more time I spend in his word and understand it, being led by the Spirit, I'll know what the truth is. I'll be able to be captivated by it. Maybe it's good for us to ask ourselves, why do I think, or why do I feel, or why do I want, or why do the way I behave the way I do, until I truly know I'm not going to be able to change those things. It's pride or jealousy or hatred or things of matters of the flesh. Lord, show me. But they deserve it. God doesn't necessarily see it that way. In general, it's the same for all of us as it was for David. Search me, O Lord, and test me, test my heart, and see if there's anything that does not align with your will in my life. Align with that. Verse 24, David moves from thoughts to actions. And again, we mentioned this before. There's a direct correlation between thinking process and the actions that are taken. So he says, he says in this very principle here, see if there be any wicked way in me, and therefore the action lead me in the way of everlasting. Did God know who David was? Did God understand the direction that David was going? He made some real bonehead errors in his, in his kingship, you know, numbering of the people or the, the episode with Bathsheba. You know. All of a sudden, he wasn't following in the way that God had led him. Whatever was stewing in his, in his heart at the time caused him to do that. He's now saying, Lord, if there's anything in there, show me and lead me away from such, you know. That I don't count number the people. I don't put myself on a, a position like, oh, I'm such a great king, let's see what I've done. Or, the, oh, she's a nice looking woman, you know, it doesn't mean all of that. Close my eyes, cause me to say, no, I don't need to turn there and look. You know, and for all of us, it's the same principle. Lord, know my thoughts as you do, but cause me to see them. And if there's anything in there that's not right, lead me in a path of righteousness. Lead me out of that. It's pretty easy for us to see the faults in our fellow men. To point out their laziness or their obvious sins and all the wrong things that they do. Well, what about me? We're going to have a time in the next hour pointing out each other's sins here, okay? No. <laughs> the, the, uh, the situation isn't quite right. Allowing the refiner's fire to purify my heart. Listen to the author of Hebrews. He reminds us of the process. For the word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. To the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
Neither is there any creature that is not manifest or uh, revealed in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, he sees it all, and he says that the word becomes that which allows me to see myself. And, and, and it spares nothing, does it? You know, If I'm honest with myself and I look at it, it pierces soul and spirit, joints and marrow. There's nothing is holding back. So sometimes I don't want to look at it. You know, I got my favorite books. I got my favorite passages. Those other ones, yeah, let's just not touch those because it's a little bit on the painful side. Final part of verse 24, David requests that God lead him in the way of everlasting. The way of everlasting here refers to eternal truths and the ways of God which do not alter, which do not change. We are meant to conform to those things which he has presented to us. And it benefits us, doesn't it? It benefits our life. It benefits our soul. I mean, really, it befuddles me to no end to watch all of this changes, you know, you know, Today I identify as a pastor, you know. Tomorrow I identify as an astronaut, you know, all the, and we can go on for that. And I say, why does somebody think like that? How can they come to those conclusions? Because there's no confirmation of the truth within their hearts. They've fallen off the foundation of truth that God's word has laid before us. It's just that simple. And when you present it to them, boy, there's some really violent attitudes, you know. Don't talk to me about that, you know. Don't tell me about this or that. But do you know those things, you know? And there's the sword. It's jabbing in those Roman swords. They're very short, close order battle, uh, sharp on both edges for him to go and up, down like that and then cut you open. And that's what the word does. And so lead me the way of everlasting, Lord Keep me from falling away. Keep me from distancing myself from you. And that's where David, in this relationship, man after God's own heart, the scripture says. And the reason was because when he did that wrong, that sword had jabbed him and cut him open, and he was open and naked before the eyes of him whom he had to deal with. And then all of a sudden he says, you're right. I did wrong. I'm sorry. And it was sincere from his heart. You know, he says, this, I recognize it, Lord. And that's what brought him back on the path. And that's where we need to stand. That's where we need to, to benefit, from, benefit from these things. We should, as David did here, ask God for strength of character to resist the pressures to conform to the things of the world. And they can come in various fashions and various forms. Lord, cause me to see your truth and accept it and apply it and see that this confirmation in the world that's surrounding me has no value, has no validity, has no eternal purpose. Help me to find my, my soul joy with you. And that's, that it, you go back and you read the psalm. He says, this is, this is my expression to you, Lord. Uh, go over the psalm when you have time again with an understanding of how these eternal truths, not only just in this psalm, but throughout the good book, from Genesis to Revelation, can profit us. Let's pray. Father, in the quietness of our morning, we're thankful that your word uh, proclaims truth. 
not always from your servants, but your word provides clarity. And as we find time and make time to spend precious moments in it, we see how gracious and how kind you have been and continue to be. That there is not a moment in our lives that you don't think of us. And that your intent for us is to bring us closer to yourselves. That we eventually, in the process of sanctification, become more like our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Discerning good and evil, right and wrong, and choosing the good, choosing the right, and allowing uh, your spirit to be our, uh, our, our conscience in all matters. Help us, Father, to find, even as the prophet says, a, a delight in your word, that it becomes sweeter than the honeycomb, that it is something to be desired more than precious gold, more than anything this word has to offer. And we have the confidence that you lead us in that direction. Lord, we need to be strong in our day, probably more than any other generation, for that which we have in Christ is precious, and we pray that we will hold on to it dearly and bring it to you as, a, as an instrument to save others. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.